Matthew chapter 7. Uh, in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27 this morning. I am stringing us along in the Sermon on the Mount as long as I can. And so if you would just go ahead and stand with me once you're there, and we will read together from Matthew chapter 7. It'll be on the screen behind me if you don't have a Bible with you. But if you do have a Bible, Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24, reading through verse 27. One, two, three, read. This is the word of the Lord. God, we ask this morning, as we open your word together, that we would not only be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers. God, this is such a striking passage. Help us. Help us to... Grab hold of what you are saying and help us to walk in it this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. What drives you? Or maybe a better way to ask that question is what motivates you? Like in the morning when the alarm has gone off and you're wondering whether or not you should just hit snooze and go back to bed, what motivates you to get up and go? What makes your life meaningful? In 2021, an organization called Pew Research, they interviewed 19,000 people and they asked that question, what makes your life meaningful? Here's what they found. They found that 38% of people said family makes my life meaningful. 25% of people said it's my job, my occupation, my career. 18% or 19% said material well-being. Like if I can just get to the next kind of goal, like the next financial goal, the next house, the next car, like then I'll be satisfied. If I can have enough money in the bank, I have the right clothes, those will provide meaning and value for my life. And then all the way down at the bottom of the list, at 1%, was pets. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense that 1% would say that there was pets. And that was what made their life meaningful. And then slightly above that was retirement, like getting to the goal of retiring, going to collect seashells or something like that. That's the goal of my life. It's those two things that make my life meaningful. And right in the middle of those two things, right in the middle of 1% and 2%, 
was faith and spirituality. You know what that means? That means that only 2% of people see faith of any kind, not just Christianity, faith of any kind, as foundational to the meaning of their lives. It means that a majority of people view faith as a sprinkle on the top of the cupcake, but not a necessary ingredient to the product. It means that 2% of people, and about 98%, believe that spirituality and faith is more of a pathway to moral betterment than it is to vitality of life. It means that 98% of people believe that it's a good feature to add on, but it's not necessary. To use the language of our passage, it's not the foundation, it's the paint job. To use the language of our passage, it's not necessarily about the structure of the house, It's about the tile in the house, the bedrooms, the bathrooms. To use the language of our passage, it's not necessary to the well-being of the house. It's a nice add-on. But according to Jesus, not according to Austin in 2023, not according to a Pew Research Paul, from the words of Christ, we are all building our lives upon something. You're going to build your life upon something. Something is going to be what gives you meaning and value and purpose. But the only sure foundation for your life is to build your life upon the words of Christ. Here's what I want to plead with you this morning. What I want to plead with us today, in many ways I'm asking that we would stop with the religious game of add-on Christianity and we'd be willing to turn and repent to a life where everything is about the kingdom and everything is about God. My, my plead for us this morning is that we would build our lives upon the words of life. That we would build our lives upon the words of life. What does this text tell us? Well, this text tells us that there are two ways to build. The wise man, he builds his house on the rock. Throughout Scripture, We are called to choose the pathway of wisdom, to flee foolish thinking, to pursue life. The path of life, it's the pathway of wisdom. And Jesus is telling us today that the pathway of wisdom is the path that hears his words and does them. This is one way to build, to hear the words of Christ and to do the words of Christ. An illustration I've found helpful to describe this is Jesus is not number one on the priority list in your life. He's the very paper with which you are writing upon. 
But there is another way to build. You see, the, the foolish man builds his house on the sand. It's quite fascinating imagery, seeing that Jesus is surrounded by desert at this time. He is in a place where there is a lot of sand. And there's a way to build which seeks past the surface and says, what's a strong foundation for my house? And there's a way to build that just says, this kind of looks like a nice area. Let me build here. Let me build on sand. It's not secure. And when a storm comes or when a flash flood appears, what happens? It sweeps the house away. There is a way of living that hears the words of wisdom hears the words of Christ, but treats them as impractical. Treats them as nice. Those are nice add-on words to your life. Not necessary. There's a way of building your life upon your understanding, and the Bible calls that foolishness. It's a way of living that says, I hear what Jesus is saying, but I'm not sure he understands my particular circumstance. I hear that Jesus is calling for a reordering of my life, but I think I just need some practical advice to make my life a little bit easier. There's a way of listening to Jesus, and instead of turning to him and doing what he says, we pick and choose from his words to make him palatable. But Jesus isn't interested in giving us nice catchphrases for our lives or good bumper stickers for our cars or nice coffee mugs. Jesus isn't interested in a people who adjusts his words to fit their life. Jesus is interested in a people who adjusts their lives to fit his words. The storm... Notice this, the storm comes on both houses. The promise of this passage is not build your life in such a way that you never face storms. The promise of this passage is that as you go through the storm, your house will be secure. Now, let me just affirm that I do think Jesus has in mind tragedies of this life when he's talking about this. I do think he's referring to when the diagnosis comes back and it's not what you wanted to hear. I do think he's referring to the tragedy. I do think he's referring to downturns in the economy where you lost the job that you thought was going to provide for you. I do think he's referring to relational conflict that you tried everything to make it work and it couldn't. I think he's referring to those things. That when your life is built upon the foundation of Christ, when those things happen, it doesn't mean that they won't happen. It just means that you will stand secure through them because your life is built not on those things succeeding, but your life is built on the words of Christ. I do think he means that. But I also think he means something deeper. Something much more uh, eternal. Here's why I say that. Let's pay attention to the language, and let's think of the book we're reading. We're reading the Bible, which means we have more than just this passage to help us understand what's being said. 
The language is the rain came and the floods fell and the winds blew. What does that sound like? That sounds like a little Old Testament. Like kind of beginning of the Bible when an entire flood wiped out the earth. That kind of sounds like a people being delivered from slavery in Egypt and walking through on dry ground, but the enemies of God coming against him and being swept away by the flood of water. That kind of sounds like in the book of Isaiah, where the language of flood is used to describe the judgment of God. That kind of sounds like the book of Ezekiel, where our whitewashed tombs, we painted the outside of the house to make it look good, and the wind and the rain came and showed it for what it really was. There's something bigger happening here than the storms of this life. Jesus is referencing the judgment of God. In the Old Testament, whenever the language of a storm is used, it's referencing God's judgment. God's judgment will come, and where you've built will be the deciding factor on whether or not the house survives the judgment of the Lord. And the judgment comes upon both houses. One house stands strong and comes through the other side unscathed. And one house is destroyed. What we build on has implications for our ability to stand when God's judgment comes. That's a sobering thought. How can we stand amidst the judgment of God? Well, Jesus is so glad you asked. In Revelation 6, there's this fascinating picture. God's judgment is coming on the earth. His judgment has come upon the earth And those who have built their house on the sand, it says that they cry out to the mountains, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? Who can stand in the face of the wrath of God? Who can stand in the face of his judgment. Well, what we're really asking is what house will remain unscathed? What house will stand secure through the judgment? And Revelation 7 seeks to answer that question. In Revelation 7, we see this. It shows us a group of people standing It's amazing. Let me just, let me grab it and read it for us real quick. I love this. The word of God is awesome. Revelation 7 says this. If you go down to verse 9, notice the language here. So in the end of verse 6, or in the end of chapter 6, verse 17, there are those who are under the judgment of God asking the question, who can stand? Who can stand? And what does verse 9 of chapter 7 say? After this, I looked And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, 
standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then a question is asked. John asks the question, who are these that are standing? And the answer is given. These are the ones who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Who can stand? What house will last? Those who have gone all in and built their lives on the cross of Christ. Where the judgment of God is exhausted for all who trust in Christ. When God's judgment comes, those who have built their house on the rock will still find themselves in the storm, but their foundation secures their future. The judgment of God was doled out on Christ, not upon them. The call that Jesus has for his people here in this passage is to build our lives on the only thing that can stand when the judgment of God comes. Build your life upon the words of life. There's a difference here in this passage, and I hope we're seeing it. In Matthew chapter 24, there's two different houses. There is one that hears the words of the Lord and does them. There's another that it's not that they never heard the words. Let's notice that. They heard the words, but they did not do them. There is a difference between hearing the words of Christ and doing them. Here's a warning for those of us who add Jesus as a nice addition to our lives, but not necessary. You're sitting under the words of Christ. You may even have some verses memorized. You may have a sticker on your car or a verse on your Instagram bio. However, association with the words of Christ is far different from being driven by the very words of Christ. From finding meaning behind the words of Christ. The words of Christ are indeed the words of life, but only insofar as we treat them as necessary to our life. How do we know? How do we know if our life is built upon the words of life? Well, I have three diagnostic questions for you this morning. How do you know? I think it would be worth going to the people closest to you and asking them, what do you think is the most important thing about me? 
And I'd be willing to bet that would tell a lot about where you find meaning in life. Like if you go to somebody and you say, what's the most important thing about me? And they say, your economic policies or your political party or, well, your job seems to be the most important thing about you or your family. Now let me affirm, man, that's a good thing, right? But if my association to my job or my association to my family comes before my allegiance to Christ, well, then I can't even love my family or my job well because I'll create a God thing out of those things instead of a good thing. And I just want you to know, man, your family, terrible God. Your job is a terrible God. It's not to say that we shouldn't value and pursue those things and, and love those things and do those things well. Don't hear me advocating in this room. You just need to quit everything. Maybe the Lord's telling you that, but that's not what I'm trying to tell you right now. What I'm trying to say is only when the words of Christ are the value system with which you look through everything else in your life, will you be able to associate to anything else well and correctly and in a way that brings life? You'll actually end up putting pressure on those things that those things aren't meant to handle. Like if the well-being of your family is the God of your life, then just wait till somebody ends up sick. If the success of your job is the God of your life, then just wait till the economy takes a downturn. Or just wait till your boss isn't pleased with your work. If, if, if your view of those things cre becomes the number one thing that gives you meaning in life, you'll end up crushing those things with the weight of your expectations. What do people closest to you say is the most important thing about you? The second thing I would say is what gives you hope in life and in death? Like today, what is the thing that you hope for, that you're looking towards and you're saying, man, if this this happens, all will be well. Because the moment that that's something other than Christ, well, then we start to get caught up in a lot of frenetic anxiety trying to make our circumstances work the way we think they should. What is your only hope in life and in death? Christ and Christ alone, that we are not our own, but belong to God, body and soul, in life and in death. It's Him and Him alone. And the last question I'd ask is, Jesus a nice add-on to your life? Or is He necessary for your life? Maybe a good way to put that is... Is it noticeable when you've spent time away from Christ? <laughs> Is it noticeable when you're sitting under his words and you're hearing them and you're doing them? Or is it just kind of like, oh, it's, I go to church some Sundays. I 
kind of, you know, I read my Bible every once in a while. Typically, when life gets harder, I'll just pull that thing off the shelf, find some verses that fit my circumstance, and I'll be like, yeah, this is it. Good to go. Or is it, man, I have to have the words of Christ. I mean, the, the words of the disciples in John 6, I shared about this last week, but everyone's abandoning Jesus. And Jesus says, do you want to leave too? And they say, where else could we go? There's nowhere else where we find what's found in these words. There's nowhere else. What do people closest to you say is the most important thing about you? What gives you hope in life and death? Is Jesus a nice add-on to your life or is he necessary to your life? How do we build our life on the words of life? How do we do so? Well, the first thing I would say is we gotta recognize, and Richard's gonna love this, we gotta recognize our identity in Christ. According to scripture, um, you are who God says you are. And if you are in Christ, which means if you have said, I'm all in on the cross of Christ, this is it. This is my hope in life and in death. This is it. Then I am who the Bible says I am. And I have to live into that identity and believe that identity. Man, this is one I have to constantly remember, consistently remember. I am a deeply insecure person. Deeply insecure. Um, I love doing this work of preaching. And it is one of the things that fills me with the most amount of insecurity. Uh, I'm, I'm really worried about the words I say and how they're going to sound and how they're going to come off and if they're going to reflect accurately the truth of Scripture. But honestly, I'm kind of really worried about what you're going to think about me. I'm deeply insecure. And I have a hard time believing that God has called me His Son in Christ. Like I have a hard time believing that God isn't just kind of looking down with an iron fist, just ready to like smite me every time I mess up. I have a hard time believing that. So I have to spend time regularly, intentionally reminding myself that I'm a new creation in Christ. That I can stand in the blood of Christ alone. That I'm loved in Christ. That I'm holy and beloved in Christ. That I'm made alive in Christ. That I'm created for good works in Christ. Because it's too easy to forget. And when I forget those things, I try to find my value in other things. I begin to build on the sand. I begin to build upon the approval of others. I begin to build upon fear of man. If I'm not regularly rooting myself in the identity that has been bought and paid for on the cross of Christ, that I can stand because I have been dressed in His righteousness alone, that it is only the blood of Christ which covers me, which gives me a future and a hope, that the most important thing about me is not, about, not what I say up here. The most important thing about me is that Christ did a work for me on the cross of Calvary. That the only thing worth giving my life to is Christ. The only thing necessary for my life, even more than the very air I'm breathing right now, is Jesus. 
if I'm not regularly rooting myself in those things, those identities, I'm just constantly trying to find myself and my identity in things that won't last. The way to life is to remember the words of life that Christ has spoken over us. In Christ. Man, you're an incredible creation. The second thing I think is really vital for us, and man, I just think you really need to hear me say this. I I think that we need to be in the word as often as we can. And, and don't get me wrong, I've, I've always thought this has been important in human history. But right now, we're in a unique time in human history where everybody wants to say something to you and have a voice in your life and have an input stream. And brothers and sisters, let me hear you. Man, I, I think we should listen to good, faithful uh, sermons that have exposited the word of God. They've made the content of the text and the intent of the text clear. I think we should listen to those things, yes. But I also think we just need to sit with the very words of Christ. More than we focus on hearing what other people have to say about Christ, we should sit with the words of Christ. Because there are so many voices that have, they just have it out to influence the way you're thinking. And the only one that leads to life is the words of Christ. Let's not forget, in this passage, how Jesus talks about being built upon the foundation. Hears these words of mine and does them. Versus, hears these words and doesn't do them. It is just so vital that we posture our lives in such a way that we just are regularly sitting under the words of Christ, which are the words of life. Third, man, let's just, let's just go to the Sermon on the Mount again. Seek God. <laughs> Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek him in prayer. Ask and you will, it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Like, have a regular habit in your life of pursuing the Lord, which means setting aside time or intentionally. Man, I, I have to do this because I would much rather listen to sports commentary when I'm in the car than anything else. So I have to intentionally say, like, hey, I, I have to have mechanisms to remind me because I have a goldfish memory, which is not very big if you didn't know that. Um, like, I, I have to have mechanisms to remind me, like, hey, spend, spend some extra time in prayer right now. Because otherwise, I just don't. I just don't remember. And I want to. Like, 15 minutes in the car spent just talking to the Lord is way different than 15 minutes in the car wondering what's going to happen this afternoon. Football happens on Sunday, if you're not familiar with that, um, which is funny. I don't even watch football. Um, I'm a basketball guy. I think, just think it's vital, vital that we have regular times of seeking the Lord in prayer. Another thing I think I think we are in danger of believing our time with the body of Christ is nice but not necessary. Like, I think that it's really easy for us to kind of treat this as a, well, I didn't have anything going else going on on Sunday. 
And so, like, I'll just go. But, like, our, our goal here as a church, let me just lay it out for you. Here's what I want for you. I want to present you with the words of Christ as often as you come to be with us. Sunday mornings, our services are built around the words of Christ. That's what we're asking about every single worship song we sing, is does this reflect biblical truth? It doesn't have to be word for word identical, but does it reflect what the Bible says is true and good and beautiful? Our gospel communities, they are built around helping us to apply the word that's preached to our lives. Our Sunday AM Bible studies, they're just opening the text and studying the Bible together. Our core classes, it's just about the Bible and learning how the Bible impacts and influences our lives and how the teachings of the Bible actually have meaning for us today. Our men's ministry is a word-driven ministry. Our kids' ministries, man, I, I love kids' ministry in this church because every single Sunday... Every single Wednesday that they're here, all they're doing is proclaiming this is who God is. This is who God is. These are his words found in his word. This is who God is. See him, know him, build your life on him. Our student ministry on Wednesday night, Kim and Davey, they are just teaching the Bible. And I think that's so vital for us to be posturing ourselves in places where people just want to give us the word. To have a sit under the words of Christ, it's why, man, I'm just, if you came here to hear my nice ideas, I'm sorry, I'm not that smart. I'm sorry, I don't have that much practical wisdom for you. But what I do have are the words of Christ found in his word, which is why we faithfully do our best to teach them Sunday after Sunday. Our desire at this church is that we would be a church that builds upon the foundation that will stand. The words of life. And finally, uh, because the text says it, I think it's important that I say it. You can hear the words of Christ, but not do them. And it would be just like saying, well, I don't go to the gym because that just didn't work to help me get in shape. And somebody asked you, did you go to the gym? No, I just purchased the membership. And it's entirely possible to purchase the membership of Christianity without actually doing the work that God calls us into and to walk in obedience to it is far more than hearing the words of Christ. But it's also doing them. We're all building on something. And in our building, we are looking for meaning and for value and for purpose. We're all looking for a place. According to the Bible, the, the problem with you and I is that we are separated from God. And so we try to find that answer to that separation in menial things, sand things, career things, people's opinion things, approval. What we're really all looking for is a place where the Father comes running and he wraps his arms around us 
with a tearful smile and he throws a party. We're all looking for home. We're all looking for the foundation. And the good news for us this morning is that the Father has seen us in our desperate state. We're all trying to build our lives, but we are in the dark as to how to build. We long for the kingdom of God, but in between us and the kingdom is a great ocean. We can see where to go, but we don't have the means to get across. We don't have the means to get there. And the good news for us today is that God has sent a life raft. Christ has come down to us. And he knows how to get us to the other side because he's already made the journey. And building our lives upon his words is not just a nice thing to do. It's the only way home. When we listen to his words, he's inviting us to hold tightly to him, to listen to him, to build our lives on his words. He'll get us home. He promises to do so. God gets all his own all the way home. Build your life on the words of life. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. It is true and it is right and it is beautiful. Here we have this passage before us just reminding us. Reminding us of what we're called to. We are called to go all in on the cross of Christ, to believe you, to follow you, to listen to your words, and we can embody the kingdom here and now by saying, God, we build our lives on your word. We build our lives on you, the sure foundation. So we pray this morning that you would help us to do so. Convict us where there might be spaces in our life where we've treated your words as nice but not necessary. Convict us where we have tried to adjust your words to fit our lives instead of being wholly reordered and adjusting our lives to fit your word. Lord, remind us of the good news of the gospel that Jesus, oh man, what beautiful news about the incarnation that he came in flesh, in blood, in language that we could understand and he communicated the good news of the cross but he also showed us the way to life and he invites us to follow him. And so Lord, as we follow Christ, would you grant us with the strength to listen to his words and to walk in obedience to him. It's in your name we pray. At this time, we're